Good afternoon, everyone. It is Dr. Nigro again with our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. A heartfelt thank you to all of our followers and supporters. Uh, we're very privileged, Julie and I, that you've welcomed us into your lives and into your mental health journeys and uh, see us as, some, as, a, as a source of information. And uh, we cannot be more appreciative and grateful. Uh, so I will give you all the contact information of how to get a hold of me, as I always do at the end of the show. And I try my best. If I haven't gotten back to you, keep reaching out. I will eventually call. And people are still surprised when I return a text or return an email. And I uh, just appreciate the respect that you guys have all shown uh, Julie and I. So Julie's here today. And as I said last week, we're going to do our best to minimize the extraneous noise. And, uh, for example, chopping an entire meal. So we're going to do that after the podcast. Um, Julie has a great chicken soup recipe that's kind of a French-Greek uh, combination. So it's really, really good. Gets us for a couple days. Um, so this week's episode... I'm going to talk about something a little unique with, with diagnostics uh, because this is the time of year where we do see increased rates of depression, uh, whether that's major depressive disorder, uh, dysthymia, persistent depressive disorder, um, seasonal affective disorder, uh, very common uh, in you know when daylight uh, gets dark here in Massachusetts now, like at 4.15, 4.30, and um you know, my office gets pretty dark. So uh, being a historical building, we're limited in terms of we can't have electrician come in and put lights in. Uh, so it gets, a, it gets a little tricky. So we, we have lots of lamps, many of which Julie has taken from my office. But it was it was it struck me this week because I was going over people's, um, a few people's neuropsych evals. Um, I'm just going to stick really with depression on this one just to keep it uh, straightforward, uh, because in the diagnostic manual, there are what are called specifiers. And specifiers really flesh out in more, more detail what the actual diagnosis is. So everybody kind of has a general idea of what depression is, again, for the sake of this, this particular episode. But I remember that I think there were two or three people that when I, when I read, you know, I was going over the results, they were kind of surprised, and I, I thought back, like, you know, I don't know why it struck me, because, you know, I'm sure other people have reacted this way in the past, but it's, just, it's, just, it's nothing horrible. We're just adding on, like, you have, like, major depressive disorder with anxious distress. Uh, you don't meet the full criteria, say, for generalized anxiety disorder or panic disorder, but there's really, the you know, the main disorder is depression, but there are, you know, enough clinical evidence to support associated features of anxiety. So I'm going to go through, I have the DSM here, I have my notes with me. Um, the, the tricky part is always reading my notes. So uh, the, so these are the specifiers. So yes, it can be just major depressive disorder, but I think it's also very helpful uh, for clinicians uh, when they get the reports from me that kind of, you know, it's able to really kind of piece out and parse out with such precision what exactly is going on. I think it's also good for a prescriber whether, to, you know, Julie jumps on or not. Uh, you know how she kind of ebbs and flows. So the first disorder, uh, first first specifier is major depressive disorder with anxious distress. So um, this is this is like feeling keyed up or tense, um, feeling unusually restless, uh, difficulty concentrating because of worry. 
uh, fear that something awful may happen, and feeling that an individual is going to lose control of him or herself. Now, we'll go back to that third one, difficulty concentrating. This is a, an important thing that I see when people are on stimulant medication. I generally do not I generally tell them, I'll talk with the prescribers, generally it's fine. I tell them not to have, not to take their stimulant medication the day prior and the day of. And I cannot tell you how many people that have been put on a stimulant medication, Adderall, Ritalin, Concerto, Focalin, Vivans, and I test them, do not have ADHD. It's depression because depression will impact attention and concentration. Uh it's why I'm such a staunch proponent of, of getting neuropsych evals because it's also able to delineate, is it unipolar depression, which is just plain old major depressive disorder, or is it bipolar depression, which is a much darker form of depression, but it's really important uh, to get testing to really figure out what it is, and we have the actual test to be able to do that. Um, we also rank disorder uh, depression in terms of severity level, mild, moderate, moderate to severe, or severe. Um, and that you know really paints a picture you know for I think for a clinician that okay if it's if it's if it's severe like all right they're meeting maybe more than five or they have to meet at least five to nine criteria but probably meeting six or seven eight some sometimes nine. Um, the second specifier is major depressive disorder with mixed features. Now and this is an interesting one because at least three of these. Uh, hypomanic or manic symptoms are present um, for the majority of the major depressive episode. Elevated mood, expansive mood, inflated self-esteem or grandiosity, uh, pressured speech or a need to feel to keep talking, uh, flight of ideas, and it's kind of a subjective experience where people will say their thoughts are racing. Um, Increase in energy or goal-directed activities, uh, either at work or school. Uh, increase or excessive involvement in activities that have a high potential for painful consequences. Uh, buying sprees, sexual indiscretion, business investments, um, uh, maxing out credit cards, the, the hopping on a plane to Vegas, stuff like that. Decreased need for sleep, feeling rested despite having an abnormally low or reduced number of hours of sleep. Now, this is interesting because it sounds like this is bipolar. Not necessarily. It, it's depression with mixed features of, of bipolarity that are almost co-occurring with the depression and the manic, hypomanic symptoms, which is different than in bipolar disorder. They are distinct mood states. They do not occur together. And then maybe Julie could talk about medications for this this type, of, or I don't even know where she is, for this type of, of, of depression because you really, what this is, it's, it's major depressive disorder co-occurring with symptoms of, that mimic mania and hypomania. Different than bipolar where you're in either the depressive state, which is the predominantly more longer state the person remains in, and... Uh, disengage from the state and going into a hypomanic or manic episode and, and those those those, those se seven uh, symptoms or criteria I read to you really is mania, hypomania, the difference between them is really um, the length of time that they occur. So this is a really interesting part because the person will re the patient will report and endorse a lot of symptoms of depression that meet the diagnostic criteria, but they will also meet the diagnostic criteria for mania or hypomania coexisting together. Bipolar, distinct, separate, mixed features, co-occurring at the same time, depression and hypomania.
Okay, a third specifier, major depressive disorder with melancholic features. Melancholic is is sad, sadness. Um, and symptoms of this are uh, loss of pleasure in just about all aspects of someone's life, um, lack of reactivity to usually pleasurable things that they found that they used to enjoy, um, a distinct quality of depressed mood that's characterized by despondency, despair, and moroseness, um, and just they feel it's kind of a vapid, empty mood. Um, depression that is regularly worse in the morning. Um, see this a lot of times with the elderly. Uh, something called sundowning. I'll do an episode at some point on the neurocognitive disorders. Um, let's see what else I got here. Early morning awakening, uh, usually at least two hours before the typical time getting awake. Uh, marked psychomotor agitation or retardation. Now, this is not retardation in the sense of the old diagnosis for, for intellectual dis- what's now intellectual disability disorder, but psychomotor agitation is you'll, you you see it. It's incredibly restless, fidgety, cancer still, like almost like the bugs are crawling all over their skin. Uh, second motor retardation is complete suppression and just like slouching in the chair and having no inhibit, no will to even want to do anything. Um, and these are things that are, you know, crucial in doing diagnostics because you you will see this in the office. I mean, I, I, I very clearly have seen this before, both of these, and also by self-report, uh, or report from you know family members, self-report or by family members or maybe parents with their children. Um, let's see, significant uh, fluctuations in weight. Uh, now, by significant, I'm saying this is not a, this is not like three or four pounds in either direction. This is like 15, 20 pounds. You're seeing uh, a severe increase. A lot of times, it could be emotional eating. Uh, and sometimes that severe decrease could be a person is just so depressed they have no willingness and no will or energy or desire to even want to eat. Um, so certainly concerning, inappropriate or excessive guilt. Uh, so in in this in this melancholic feature, you know it, it's almost like you know depression two point uh, There there's there's the depression. Then there's these additional. Uh, if you just use the analogy of like backpacks that are just weighing the individual down. And it can be incredibly difficult. And these are the individuals who really shouldn't be doing teletherapy or telehealth when you have this type of depression. There's something called behavioral activation. The need to actually go to your appointment, to get in the car, to take a shower. It is a crucial part in treating a lot of psychiatric disorders. But really, when it comes to depression, behavioral activation is a crucial variable in trying to get that person out. And sometimes you need to see these individuals two, three times a week in therapy. Um because once a week just is not going to give enough time to really make a lot of progress. All right, what do we got next? Okay, depressed, major depressive disorder with psychotic features, including delusions and or hallucinations. So yes, you can have depression and be psychotic and not have schizophrenia. Again, this, there's a lot of overlap, but the diagnostics is really able to delineate what it really is. So, you know, so this could sometimes look like schizoaffective disorder. Now, that is psychosis with depression. That's a, t- a completely different disorder into and of itself and treated therapeutically and psychopharmacologically different. Um, so now there's two parts with the psychotic features. There's mood congruent psychotic features. And this is when the content of the delusions and hallucinations is consistent with the typical depressive themes, okay? Um, feelings of 
uh, guilt, disease, death, nihilism, deserved punishment. So that's kind of consistent with a depressive mood state. You know, you're going to have perceptual disturbances that are consistent with the with, with the mood of the individual versus major depressive disorder with mood incongruent psychotic features. And this is when the content of the delusions and hallucinations does not involve depressive themes of personal inadequacy, disease, guilt, punishment, or the content is like a, like a mixed mix feature. And this can be a really interesting one um, because sometimes, a lot of times you'll see this in the office. Uh, it tends to occur at different parts of the day. A lot of times, just, you know, from my experience, uh the evenings under stress, um, but it's again. This is why these specifiers are so crucial in really being able to flesh out what what type of depression the individual is experiencing. Now, you can also have uh, another specifier is major depressive disorder with catatonia. That is very common. You see it a lot of times in institutionalized facilities where, or individuals who are institutionalized. And I, I can go back from my working, you know, running the psychiatric hospital. I, I remember seeing this stuff. And it just helps so much in the development of my clinical skills uh, because I was able to not only learn it from, you know, from, from amazing professors and, and mentors, but I saw this stuff in, in, in real world action. And it just really helped. I was very blessed and grateful to have this solidify and be a part of my training. Um, now, you can also have major depressive disorder with peripartum or postpartum onset. Um, this, is a, this, is a, this is a very important one because, uh, you know, you probably have read cases about, you know, a mother is depressed and she just neglects her child or doesn't feel like breastfeeding or sometimes has they, they, a mother may have uh, suicidal ideations towards toward their child or possibly their husband. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely, you know, Depression is is you know as Julie uses the term saying bipolar is 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 neurochemical. It's neurotransmission, a little different than bipolar because bipolar is really strictly neurotransmission. But but major de- major depressive disorder uh, can can really get to that edge of darkness. And and the one one criteria that you worry about the most. Um, in, in all the nine uh, different symptoms, uh, you think, you know, suicidality obviously is serious, but hopelessness, 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 hopelessness. That is one of the best predictors of suicidality, of suicidal ideations. And if, if you're hopeless, you kind of have, you know, it's like staring onto the ocean and you see nothing. Uh, and that's why depressed people should never go to the ocean because they look out and this is more of a psychodynamic, psychoanalytic model. Um, but I remember there's some school that people who live by the water have a tendency to be more depressed um, if you're prone to depression. Um, so uh, there's also, you know, the major depressive disorder with seasonal patterns. So this would be your seasonal affective disorder. And I think that was a reason why, you know, in addition to people asking about these specifiers during the week, this was also something that I wanted to, to cover because at least here in the United States, I think in Western countries, we're entering into the end of fall, beginning of winter. And, um, you know, I think I do a pretty good job of self-care and Julie does and, the, the, you know, the kids do uh, a good job. But you can just feel it. Um, I think it was like it was last week, I think it was daylight savings time. And it was like 430. And, and I, I think we went to bed like at 815. And that's not typical for us. Um 
but I, I see, I noticed that, you know, I, I get through to finish my, with my first eval by like 1, one thirty. My second one starts at 2. And like by 2.30, about like, by like 3, 3.15, I'm starting to notice the change. And I can even notice the change in my own like energy level. And I can notice the change. And you, you can tell I'm pretty extroverted and outgoing. For those of you guys who met me, um, you say, you know, my, my physical appearance doesn't match what I do for a living. But I think, you know, what I put on Instagram gives you a little bit of a picture of, um, of who I am and who who Julie are, Julie is, uh, so very very down to earth. Um, so the seasonal pattern is, is something that's kind of circling around us at at, at at the at the present moment. So it could even you could have major depressive disorder, and this time of year can actually exacerbate it because. Um, you know, I mean, that's why, you know, in, in Seattle, remember, they used to call uh, the, you know, Washington State or Seattle Prozac Valley. You know, I mean, decreased amount of sunlight. I think I think the, the prevalence rates change depending on, on culture and, and location. Um, you know, I don't know what the prevalence rates are in, you know, Hawaii, but I think they're probably a lot lower than they are in, on the East Coast in the United States. Um but yeah, this this is a time of year that uh, if you start to notice some changes, uh, definitely reach out to a therapist, reach out to family, reach out to your prescriber or your primary care physician. But I, I wanted to do this because this is a very common diagnosis. Um, you know, we say depression and anxiety are the common colds of mental illness, but they, if you kind of see from what I went through, they can kind of, it, it's, it's not as clear cut as you just think of, oh, I have depression. You see with these specifiers, uh, and it was, again, I think it just maybe just brought to my awareness because I'm just so used to doing this on a, on a daily basis. When, the, when you know, they, it really helped when I was explaining it to these, these two or three individuals about, the, about, about Julie, about the specifiers um, surrounding, depress, surrounding the depressive disorders. And I think it really gave them a lot of clarity in terms of, okay, I know I have depression, but now I have this on top of it. And, I, and it can, you can start to become more aware of it because you can't change something until you first become aware of it. And you can't hold somebody accountable for something that they're doing or not doing until you first make them aware of it. So, um, Julie, anything you want to add about the atypical depression? But Julie's getting ready to... Start cooking, so I'm trying to. I'll try and wrap this up before she starts chopping away. Um, so yeah, I mean, for clinicians out there, it's really good if you if you you know um, can put the specifiers on. It's, it's helpful for prescribers. Uh, it's something that that I do because I find there's a lot of utility to it, and it's really able to you know explain it in in more detail, uh, especially when you get into that one that, that I think you know that can be a little bit more concerning. Um, with the mixed features because, you know, and that's why testing is so important because you really, it's able to disentangle bipolarity from depression with mixed features. And that's where you see, um, and again, two very different treatment options from a medication standpoint, uh, therapy standpoint. Um, so as always get a neuropsych eval. Or if you have somebody in your family that needs testing, as you can see, just from, you know, you think there were just major depressive disorder, there is, but there's all these specifiers. And that's what testing is able to do is really give you those answers. So, you know, the, these are, the, the psychiatric disorders are not monolithic constructs. They do expound, they do expand. Other disorders have these specifiers or similar ones, but it's, it's really crucial, I think, to get to, to have the full integrity of the diagnostic picture to maximize uh, all treatment options available. All right. So until next time, uh, feel free to reach out to me at Psychology Today. 
Uh, you can reach out to me at psychologyunplugged at outlook.com. You can contact me directly at 617-750-9411. You can follow us on Instagram that we are still plotting our way through uh, at psychology underscore unplugged underscore. And we'll try and post some additional stuff. And um, we wish all of you guys well. As always, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. We'll keep working on minimizing the background noise. Um, and we appreciate all your support and comments and feedback and allowing us to provide this information to you guys because this 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 makes our world go round. This is what we're passionate about. All right, bye guys. <laughs>